Amber makes fun of that voice, my count-in voice. I mean, she like really, she's like, "What is wrong with you?" And I'm like, "What? It's what am I supposed? Am I supposed to sound like myself when I count abandon? One, two, three, no, no. three, let's go." I gotta, I gotta let people know, like, I'm not messing around. This song is starting with is, or without yeah. you. I, I'm coming in four quarter notes from now. I mean, is there anything worse than a, a, a weak count off to a song? Right? You're like, that'd oh, be, that's it's, not the it's tempo. Like a, <laughs> right. One, is it a question? It shouldn't be a question. There's two things that shouldn't happen. There shouldn't be a question mark after you're counting. One, two, three, four. Uh, and there shouldn't be an apology after your fill on the crash symbol. <laughs> Flat doom, gaga doom, sorry. Those two things should not happen. Have confidence, even if you're totally wrong. Ballad. One, two, three, sorry. Hmm, yeah, we'll get there. We'll slow it down. <laughs> I'm still coming in hot. Question is, uh, how long before any of us get to do that? <laughs> Actually count off a song. I'm counting in my drumless tracks. There's no band, but I'm still I'm still letting these imaginary musicians know we're coming in four beats right from now. Yeah. So, and I think it's the same with quarterbacks. I don't want my quarterback going to the line and be like blue forty two, blue forty two, hot hot. Like, no, yeah, give it to me. It's weird. Hey, so, so what's this with Gronk getting traded to the Bucks? Yeah, man. Like for I think real, Gronk just his contract. All- no, no, he's he's already there. He passed his physical and everything. What? He is he is a Tampa Bay Buccaneer joining Tom Brady. He would have gone from from Adam Schefter's reports, he would have gone anywhere in the league as long as Tom Brady was there and it wasn't New England. So Tom is his guy. I don't understand. He, is, is he just betting that there'll be no season and they'll just make money? <laughs> <laughs> it's a good point. I think I think Gronk is a lot smarter than he pretends to be. That dude knows exactly what he's doing on the business front. But I think, you know, I mean, uh, in 2018, they were going to trade Gronk to Detroit. And mm. he specifically said, if, if I only want to play with Tom Brady. If you trade me, I'll just retire and you'll be stuck okay. with my contract. So so he's he is very loyal to Tom Brady. So that, to me, wasn't that big of a surprise. I don't think he retired just because his body was breaking down. I think he retired because... He was saying, if I'm going to put my body through all of this, I want to have some fun. And the Patriots, that's mm. that's as unfun as it gets. That's buttoned up. So I think him and Tom are just going to go out there in their creamsicle orange uniforms and, <laughs> I, you know, you know toss I, the rock. I'm going to wager money that they, they know they're not going to play. So they're going to be, hey, let's go to Florida for six months and pretend. And then we'll just... Vanish yeah. into the distance next year. No training camp. We'll probably skip the preseason. <laughs> and uh, Tampa Bay already has tight ends, so Gronk can come in like every fifteenth play. Yeah, and be just a decoy. I mean, uh, we'll see what happens. But yeah, that did actually happen. So uh, they are now back together again. Gronk and Brady. Welcome into episode two hundred and forty <laughs> of the Modern Drummer podcast. How dumb we taught you how to count in, how to how to hike a football. We are ready to go. How are you doing, man? Uh, frantic. It's a typical yeah. um, modern drummer day of we're closing an issue. I'm trying to wrap up another issue, another wrinkle in the puzzles. I have to ship back gear, but I don't have daily UPS pickup like I usually do. So I have to find UPS stores. And so it's a whole, well, yesterday I was like an hour driving around to different UPS stores, FedEx stores. So it's cool. I've got my mask. I'm all good. But 
You know, it's just frantic. And I got a bunch of more stuff here to review. I sent you the picture of the Doc Sweeney snares. So, oh my goodness, yeah, that's. uh, I think next week that'll be our gear section is comparing because they sent um, the new um, Pure series, which is a steam bent shell with no rearing. So you're getting just pure one piece of wood. They sent elm, they sent oak, and they sent ash. So I think maybe next week we can do a a timbral comparison of those three drums. I would love that. Yeah, I feel like Doc Sweeney got over that three to four year indie company hump where it's like amazing stuff, but we're not going to take you seriously until you get through this first couple years because so many people come on the scene hot and then they're gone. And I kind of feel like now the company's been established a little bit and people are taking it more serious. And all of a sudden it's it. I mean, one thing that happens when you stick around for a while is a lot of your competitors drop off in the meantime. And eventually, you're just part of the group that's left standing. And so I think uh, it's really cool. I don't know, for some reason, maybe it's just you talking about it a little bit more, but also following them on social media. I just feel like in the last five or six months, it's become a much more serious company or being taken much more serious, even though the quality's always been there. Yeah, I mean, again, how many companies are doing steam bent kits? I mean, we've got steam bent snare right. drums, but... How many offer full kits? I, I don't know. Two? <laughs> Literally, is it yeah, Craviato and Doc Sweeney? Is there another company out there doing steam bent kits? I don't think so. So that's they've yeah. kind of got a spot there. But yeah, so that just showed up yesterday. So that's that's super fun. I'm recording the track for a friend of mine who's in Turkey. So that's super fun. He sent me a percussion track that I'm going to try to do something with. It became way more serious when he's like, hey, I want to make a, I want to put on an EP with all my drummer friends and this is for you. I'm like, wait a minute. I thought this was going to wow. be an Instagram jam, not a, not an actual record. So right, right, right. Now wow. That's like, awesome. Parts and stuff. <laughs> now, I have to, now I have to care. Now I have to like oh, do care. the whole thing and not just 30 seconds of it. <laughs> that's awesome, man. Awesome. Yeah. Also, <laughs> we have to, some, some news, some, some news to deal with. Um, First off, the Dream Giveaway Contest ends next week. So if you want to be eligible to win a 22-inch Dream Gorilla Ride, you need to listen to last week's episode, which was 239, to find out the rules, which is essentially to take a clave pattern, displace one of the beats within that clave pattern, and then use that to formulate a new new groove, new pattern, whatever. And post it. Post on Instagram. Make sure you tag Modern Drummer, tag Mike, tag me. So we can see it. And please do not think you need to be on a drum set. We understand that a lot of people are stuck at home and cannot get to a kit. That Find anything around the house. Pots, pans, books, magazines. We yeah. don't care. Yeah, there's no criteria other than you just need to participate and, and post something. There we go. We're not going to pick a winner based on quality. So that's that. And then also next week, we um, coinciding with the release of this podcast at 9 a.m. next Friday, our good friends at Masters of Maple are going to put, I believe, 20 of their trash talk snares for sale. 100% of the proceeds are going to Music Cares and the Grammy Foundation to give money to musicians and crew who've lost all of their income, So, which is super awesome. cool. They, they, they um, kind of shocked that they're able to. I talked to him the other day, and they're still building drums. They're able to just keep on. They had so many back orders over the past year that they're just fulfilling orders. Sure, it's actually orders. nice to catch up. Yeah, exactly. Because they, you know, the other side business for Cy, it's actually his primary business is a production company. So he's on the road most of the time. So now he's oh, home. That makes more and sense. And he's just making drums. But he said, yeah, we have to 
do weird shifts where we have like an overnight shift and a midday shift and an sure. evening shift. Yeah. So anyway, that's super, super generous of them. So we'll have uh, the official launch of that. They're going to go quick. So if you want a trash talk snare, which is a seamless aluminum six lugger, pretty funky, gnarly thing, um, you'll probably want to scope out their website very soon. Yeah, I will. I want one. I don't. I don't have a Masters of Maple snare, and I love. I love the irony of having a Masters of Maple metal snare. Yeah, I mean, that's trash talk with like big cartoon yeah. lips on it. <laughs> Who makes that metal snare? The Masters of Maple, the wood gods make this metal snare. Mom, they're mom. masters. Your I mom makes it. it. All right. <laughs> so I have a question for you. Uh, this week, uh, every Wednesday, we've been doing these new VF challenges on Vic Firth's social media page. And they're obviously meant to be somewhat inclusive, but also challenging. Some mm-hmm. of them have some freedom, like do whatever you want inside this set of parameters, like you and I did with the Clave challenge. And some of them are very specific. But this challenge, I'm pretty sure I got this from Kenny Aronoff, but from his actual videotape back in the late 80s, early 90s. The infamous uh, pink sweater tape. Yes. Okay, good. So <laughs> the, I didn't imagine white, this. The white I, sneakers and the pink sweater. Yep. I couldn't remember if I got it from that or or if I attended a uh, Kenny Aronoff clinic. So I've always called this the personal mixing board exercise. You play four bars of groove, normal volume, then four bars of groove with one of the instruments from your groove as loud as possible and the other two as quiet as possible. So you've got your kick loud, your hi-hats and snare quiet, then you do it again, the snare is loud, the hi-hat and kick are quiet, you do it again, the hi-hat's loud and the kick and snare are quiet. That exercise, so that's the challenge on Vic First Page. So if any of you guys want to be a part of it, go for it. And once again, you do not have to be on a kit. Just find something in your house to hit. I'm fine with that. I promise you this. The hi-hat one will be the worst. You'll be able to nail the kick and bring your hands down. Not too bad. The snare, eh, it's a little tough, but you'll get it. But when you have to feather the kick, feather the snare, and go chick, 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 it is going to fight everything in your natural being. So... That exercise itself, you seemed like as soon as I said it, you were like, yep, I know what that is. Yep. Where, when, when was the first time that came to you? And do you, do you think that's where I got it from? Do well, you remember kinda, that being in there? I mean, who can claim ownership of that? I think, I think totally. it's something that anyone who has to play drums it. in a studio, that's inevitably someone tells you, hey, can you bring, the, the, bring out the kick drum or something? But yeah, it was definitely Kenny that I saw. And he, I think his in that video was a little bit different where he... okay. He actually said, "Okay, that that instrument's going to solo." So I think that's right. Yeah. So the bass drum takes a solo while the snare drum and hi hat are the same, and then the snare drum takes a solo while the hi hat and bass drum. Goes. So I think that was his version of it. It was kind of yep. similar though, like you were focusing on one limb. No, you're um, totally right. It was more of an improvisational exercise. Yeah, and then yep. um, I've just seen so many people do it over the years. Because um, I, I actually. Right. I experienced it. Like I experienced being with an MD at a church that told me, I need you to bring the hi-hats down. And Mm -hmm. I was like maybe in my late teens. And I said, okay. And then he was like, immediately stopped the whole band. No, no, no. Don't get quieter. Bring the (laughs) hi-hats down. I need that. The kick and snare has to be there. And I'm like, oh no, we only have the Mike Johnston volume knob. That's all you get. (laughs) You can turn it up as loud as you want. You can turn it down as quiet as you want, but you don't get to start mixing. And then you know, I started teaching profet or in a in an actual store. I started teaching for my full time job when I was seventeen. So I've been mm-hmm. doing having to find these types of things 
if you think about teaching, especially private teaching, the best way to teach is for a student to have a problem and you design a new system to fix that problem. Right. What I see a lot of teachers do is say, hey, I saw this system on the internet and I'm going to teach it to you, but I don't know what it does. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, then at some point, this unruly little punk like me is going to go, why am I doing this? And you won't have an answer. Yeah. So you have to know what are these systems fixing? And so for the personal mixing board, obviously, it's giving you the control to mix your kit from the kit, especially if you're somebody like me that has a single overhead mic. I do not have the ability to turn my snare drum down or up or my hi-hats down or up. It's yeah. just I mix myself. So I wonder, I mean, I, it is a great exercise, and I, I need to continually practice it. And it happens all the time in sessions. Like I was doing this big rock thing, and, and the, the artist was like, yeah, it's great, but the cymbals are just getting out of control. And that's just a problem with small room trying to record drums. Okay. If you're going to hit hard, cymbals are going to yeah. suck. So I... For me, it's almost always the mixing board is, can I, can I bring the right hand down to a whisper? Very rarely am I, can I bring the bass drum lower? Can I bring the snare drum lower? But the exercise, I think, is incredibly important. But I think in practicality oh, totally. for me, it's more, can you bring the right hand down and not, sac- not sacrifice the power of the bass drum and the snare drum? Totally. Yeah, I mean, you can do so much with this. And I can tell you, as soon as you go from this to adding in just a couple left-hand snare notes or a syncopated hi-hat part, the the exercise compounds in difficulty so fast. It's it's mm-hmm. incredible how much more difficult a paradiddle groove is to do this exercise with than a standard pop beat. I think I still think that that uh, Matt Chamberlain and Bob Clear Mountain Water. Oh, Bob Clear Mountain, uh, the um, the um, which Apollo which or the no. Apogee? Apogee, Apogee, yeah, the Apogee. Yeah, I still think that's one of the best ones, just because in there he mentions like, well. You know, you kind of bring the toms down. You're going to have to hit them harder because they're further away from the microphone. He casually mentions everything you would ever need to know as a session player. (laughs) Like, obviously, you guys all know this. And it's like, no, no one knows this. This is like the goods, man. Yeah. Yeah. I think he says, like, bring out the kicks and snares and hit the cymbals softer when you're doing the two mic setup or something like that. My floor tom is, you know, a foot further away from the mic than my rack tom. So I'm going to have to hit that a little bit harder and whatever. Everybody knows this. (laughs) No, no one knows this. Why their mixes sound so bad. what was the specific challenge? The specific challenge was literally basic pop beat and play four bars of each. Four mm. bars of the groove monotone, then four bars with the kick loud, the other two quiet, snare loud, the other two quiet, then the hi-hat loud, the other two quiet, and that's it. And then the freedom was you could do this with any groove you want, mm. but I can tell you right now, shockingly low amount of responses to this one Compared to the last one, which was, uh, I think we were doing a double stroke clave. And well, I mean, you're talking yeah. about fun stuff versus painfully difficult stuff. Totally, and totally, that's what separates the pros from the the semi pros. Totally. Really, I, 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 well, I know this will come out. I think either right before, yeah, about an hour before our next virtual shed with the campers the campers well god it's summertime i miss the camps uh with the students on mikeslessons.com but we did a virtual shed this last um i guess it was yesterday and we traded one of the things so in these virtual sheds you're playing with me but since i can't hear you we don't have to worry about any latency or delay Mm -hmm. i mean technically you're watching a pre-recorded video as far as you know but it is live so you know, in the in the beginning of these sheds, we were just trading fills, and it was great. And we do it at different tempos, and people would be like, "Oh man, 120 BPM! It went by so fast, I couldn't think of my ideas." 
Then we started trading twos and trading fours. Well, now we're getting into like, well, we're can we admit as a family that we're done like having fun and just just having fun? Let's work on some stuff like, hey, what are your fills like if we only did eighth notes? Like, oh man, all the coolness is gone. It's mm-hmm. like, well, not not for somebody like Steve Jordan or for yeah. I'm sure Carter could make Gad. eighth notes sound great. Gad. Yeah. So anyway, so this on this last one we did trading fills in five four, and. Yeeks. <laughs> Adding an entire quarter note to, I mean, even our best students were like, wow, uh, I'm going to go practice 5-4. And what I took away from that right away was like, uh-oh, you think you need to practice 5-4, but you're not saying that you need to practice counting. Because mm-hmm. if you could count 9-8, 5-4, 3-4, of them are different. You just count. And when you run out of numbers, you start over and hit a crash symbol. It's really not that difficult if you have the independence to count over your playing the problem is most people if they count their voice will follow their limbs yeah because you could just play a four four beat and just count to five i did give them that option well i gave them a couple first of all on our groove i said just to make sure that because when you're trading fills we have to agree on a groove first we can't just be like you're in five i'm in five and i'll see at the end (laughs) uh so for our groove we just added an extra snare to five so one two Three, four, five. You could play any fill you want, and then at the end go five eanda, and you would come out just fine. Yeah, exactly. The the problem is you get lulled into this false sense of like, no, I can feel it. You can't. I promise. Unless you live and breathe in five four, mm-hmm. you can't feel it. Unless you've experienced this and, and played a lot of music and listened to a lot of music in five four, uh, or you can sing that groove while you fill. So you can be chopping around the kit while going oh, scat. Uh, Cat, cat, crash, cat, cat, cat. You'll be fine, but mm. that takes some work. But the thing is, like, if you just counted one, two, three, four, five, one. Hey, yeah, exactly. I landed. It's yeah, like, that's, and that's I, what, so I, wrote what some, I was meaning was like you could just play in four four. That's what I do. Like, yeah, I don't play in five four. I play drums, and when I'm out of numbers, I start over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't learn a five four vocabulary. You just play, right? And count them. You don't learn a seven eight vocabulary. I mean that that used to be like the normal drum teacher question is somebody comes to you and says like, well, how do I do that groove in seven eight? And it's like, no, it's it it is you know how would you write it in seven? It's like no, there's nothing changes. There's just one less eighth note or two less sixteenth notes or four less thirty second notes. So yeah, I think the practice getting back to that Vic Firth challenge thing, the practice of doing the things that are not exciting and they're tedious and they're frustrating because you are failing to get there. I mean, if you could do it, you just do it. Yeah. It doesn't make so for me good social you, media stuff. And that's probably nope. why I'm so lagging behind. And cause I don't, I'm here's the hard stuff. Um, I don't know. I'm, I suck at it. You suck at it. We all suck. at Trust it. me. Well, people all the time are like, Hey, um, like, could you teach me something real on YouTube? And it's like, no, <laughs> no, you would hate it. I. You want something real? Go to mikeslessons.com. You want the fluff? Yeah, here it is. It's How social media is fun. That? We're all having a good time. How do we flip that? I guess it's because it's free and it's it's really entertainment. It's education wrapped in entertainment. Yeah, uh, it's entertainment. You, how do you flip it, though? How does it become... Well, that's... For me, I'll, I'll be maybe a little too transparent here, but it for me, it's, it's a funnel and I, I actually love it. If all of those people made their way to mikeslessons.com, they would drive me nuts. 
if my YouTube videos are good enough for you, I need you to stay on YouTube because you will drive me crazy when once you've paid for Mike'sLessons.com, you have full access to me. Like I'll call you on the phone. We yeah. like I'm your friend. I got to say, if you love YouTube videos, you can stay there. I, I just I know you'll drive me crazy if you're watching a YouTube video and you're feeling like it's not enough for you and you want to go deeper. Then I'm ready for you, man. So mm. yeah, I'm sense. totally okay with it. Um, it you know it's it, it's it's tough. I mean, I, I know for me with the camera stuff, the people that I watch the most on YouTube, I would so much rather not be watching them on YouTube because they're trying to entertain me through these vlogs and everything it's like man i just want to pay i will pay a hundred dollars a month just teach me the real stuff yeah you know um yeah that's usually my frustration with the youtube world is it's it gives you just enough of a tease where you think after 10 minutes you've learned something but you really haven't they've kind of talked around the actual point because they're waiting for you to buy the thing that you need (laughs) i gotta say the people that i've the, the people that I learn the most from have probably the least amount of subscribers, especially in the camera and video world. They have no on-camera pizzazz. They don't, they're not the full package, but they can teach their ass off. And mm. I learn a ton from them. And it's like, all right. Like, you know, and, and every once in a while you get a package deal. Um, but even those people, I mean, I think Peter McKinnon is probably the most famous right now for it. But he's pulled back so far on his teaching, and it's it's just daily vlogs, you know. Um, it's become he's become a personality, mm-hmm. um, uh, a persona, and he's fantastic at it. I mean, definitely one of the people that got me as interested as I am. But the people that I really follow, and man, they're boring. And sometimes <laughs> it's almost like the dentist with bad teeth, where I'm like, "Dog, you're teaching me a cinematography video, and you can't even light your own video. <laughs> How are you teaching me this when you didn't even set up a light?" This is I crazy. Mean, that's okay. the other side of it too. It's, yeah, we're way off right. topic. What the hell are we talking about? What's the next Vic? First I think challenge? we're talking about polyrhythms. <laughs> I think we're talking about polyrhythms. Let's get into it. Okay, so this topic came up because you did some stuff with Carter McLean based off of a recent Instagram video. Not to mention, he's got a lot of polyrhythmic stuff that happened in his book. So yeah. the first thing I want to do is, I, I, just for our listeners, I want to give you a simple way to understand polyrhythms. This is not the only way. But I think for those of you that have maybe been scared off by the topic in the past, this will help just a little bit. And then we'll dive into what Mike did with Carter. So if you can imagine having two metronomes going on at the exact same time, but at different tempos, eventually they will meet up. Now, if that works out to be simple math, that's great. So we're going to use simple math. So I'm going to turn on my metronome at 75 beats per minute. Okay. So that's my tempo right here. Now, if I stop that metronome and turn it on again at 100 beats per minute, they match up right there. One. One. Now, my right hand is snapping in three. One, two, three. One, two. And my metronome is in four. One, two, three, four. One, two. Oh, God, that's so hard to do. (laughs) I'll do it. Two, three, four. One, two, three, four. Okay, I'm just going to stop right there. That's about as good as I can do it in a live setting. Nice. Well done. I applaud you. (laughs) Thank you. That's that's ballsy to give it a go live. Uh, 
So for me, a polyrhythm is when you can feel either of those as the pulse. So if I have this going, I can feel the one, two, three, or the one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. Now what I think really makes this make sense to a lot of people is when you stop one of these. So most of you right now are probably feeling the three as the dominant pulse. One, two, three, one. If I stop that and you only hear the four, that was happening the whole time. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. That was happening the whole time. If you can only feel this in a three, I consider that to be a composite rhythm or a rhythm. It's just a rhythm. It's not until you're starting to understand that you really do have two pulses going on at the same time and either one could be the dominant pulse that it becomes a polyrhythm. So hopefully that at least takes some of the mystery out of the topic for you. Now let's dive into what you did with Carter. Yeah, so that segues into, um, I don't know why we, we almost all of us learn that four over three with the three being the pulse. We almost all learn it that way. But in practicality, when you actually do this in the real world, it's usually the reverse where you're playing in four and you have to put the three over top of it. So that was what happened this week. So what, so Carter put up a video of him playing a basic groove and his left hand goes from eighth note triplets to 16th notes to 16th note triplets while his right hand just plays a 16th note pattern the whole time. So you've got Mm -hmm. four over three, four over four, four over six. And then I transcribed it for him. So he put up the transcription. So if you look at it on screen, like, okay, this this doesn't look too difficult. Um, but then when you actually go to play it, you're like, whoa, I don't know that I can understand how that three fits underneath those yeah. 16th notes. Like really What's understand. the overriding grid that holds these two together? Yeah, and there's also, for, for me when I was working on it, it's like there's a shift when first you have to learn it mathematical, which means super freaking slow and doesn't sound like a groove at all. But then once you speed it up to context, you have to kind of forget about it and just float it. But at least right. for me, all that detailed analytical work keeps that three from sounding jagged. I'm able to really make it accurate when I'm not thinking of the right. subdivision. So I got a lot of questions when he posted that. How do you, how do you scientifically figure out how to do that three? Um, and so the easiest way that I can kind of intellectualize it is if you think of the four the 16th notes just as four yeah they're 16th notes but they could be whole notes they could be half notes they could be anything it's sure. just it's just one, four two, three, things four. one two three four yeah and divide those evenly in, spaced four evenly spaced pulses subdivide right. those into threes so you've got mm-hmm. this triplet pulse so it's really like 12 there's 12 subdivisions yep. going accent every fourth one that becomes your three so if you think of it as being a triplet pulse, triplet, 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 triplet. So now the three is hitting on the first partial, 
the second partial and the third partial. Triple lit, triple lit, triple lit, triple lit, triple lit, triple lit. That keeps your head focused on the four instead of right. shifting to the three. Triple lit, triple Absolutely. lit, triple lit, triple lit. Then you speed it up. You just have to remember the feel of it. I'm not subdivided anymore. I just know the feel. Right. But that's the only way that, I can kind of scientifically break it down that makes sense to where you're not losing all sense of well, which oh, one is the anchor in this whole thing. Totally. Well, that's that's the way to flip. You know, so I think the one of the terminologies that really helps me understand this is instead of saying over, saying against. Four right. against three. That way I just know there's four evenly spaced pulses and three evenly spaced pulses. Mm-hmm. And how I want to make that work is up to me. Four over three, three over four, that's where it gets confusing of like, okay, are we feeling every third sixteenth note, one E and a two E and a three E and a four E and a one, or what you said, one and a two and a three and a four and a one and a yep. two and a three. And a. So once there's the against, it makes it really, like if somebody says five over nine, my brain kind of tweaks for a second because I'm like, wait, quintuplets every ninth note. But if somebody says five against nine, Instantly, I just think, well, there will be five pulses in the same amount of time that there will be nine pulses. Mm-hmm. Now, after that, like you said, we have to come up with a grid and think how it's going to work. But I think that you're spot on. Most people get to this place without knowing it. You know, I mean, when a teacher says, all right, I want you to do paradiddles in triplets, they don't, it's not a polyrhythm lesson. It's just, yeah. it's a subdivision lesson, it's an accent lesson. But you're still going one and a two and a three and a four yeah. and a pair a diddle pair a diddle pair a diddle against that triplet feel. And then so once you have that going on and it's all floating around and then you hear somebody do it on the kit, whether it's a polyrhythm to you or not, you can kind of do it. You know, I mean, I think especially if, for jazz cats, most of my independence work in jazz besides comping stuff was playing non-odd groupings playing groups of fours and yep. eights in that triplet feel yeah you know and, and being able to play flam taps ding jing ding jing blah 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 ding you know so that type of work gets you prepared for this i still think that the tie between polyrhythms and metric modulation or implied metric modulation that you and i've talked about on this podcast is still really important at any point in time if you're doing what Carter was doing, can you take the backbeat out and can yeah. you make the other limb, the lead dog, just for a second and hint at this could be the pulse too? Yeah, it kind of goes back to your Vic Firth challenge. Like you have to can – you, can you solo the four? Can you solo the three? Yeah. Can you focus on the three while accenting the four? Can you focus on the four while right. accenting the three? I found that the biggest mistake that I've seen with it, that particular polyrhythm is they learn that – what is it? Eat your gosh darn spinach, eat <laughs> your gosh yep. darn. And yeah. the problem is that yep. forces you into a, actually a a duple based grid. So you're not playing right. three evenly spaced notes. You're playing one, a two, and three. One, a two, and three. It's not right. a triplet anymore. Yeah. It's got to be triple lit, triple lit, triple lit, triple lit, triple lit, triple lit, triple It's different. Right. It is. I, I totally agree. And I, I think one exercise that can really help people is with any polyrhythm, if you slow it down, the one that you first started with. So let's say um, I'll do this one just because I know in a live setting I can do it. <laughs> I'm not going to try the other one again. So if I have this, could you sing K 
kick and snare to each of these. Like, doom, ka, 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 doom. If you can feel each of those as like a kick and snare pulse, you've probably got the polyrhythm down. Yeah. Do you? I'm not going to put you on the spot, but I'm going to put you on the spot. Do you think you could do that with the the triplet version that you were just talking about? If you're snapping them, um, yeah, because yeah. So when you were doing it, you were anchoring more on the three. Correct. Yeah. yeah. So we're talking- so that's what I consider to be a four over three polyrhythm. Okay. So you, okay. now I, that's the I only consider it that way because you say four yes. over three, but really it's. Three over the four, because the three is yeah, your so, pulse. No, it, it, it's totally. So it's just the fraction. That's is where weird. it gets confusing. The fraction is weird. Yeah, for me, I usually just name it after what's the overriding subdivision. So the four for me is that I'm anchored in daga 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 daga, and then I've got dun 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 dun. So, but you can switch them either way. That's why I like against because four against three gives me some freedom. So be I just one, need to have two, four evenly. Three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, one, two, three. Boom, got, boom, got. <laughs> Watch us hit my mic stand. Boom, got, 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 boom, got. <laughs> yes, I love it. I love it. Wow, I just went All down right. Dorkville, USA, brought to you by the Monitor <laughs> Podcast. Woo! Hey. Hey, so we didn't even get stuff. to the six over four, so that is also... Okay. That one was the one in, in Carter's Beat that, that surprised me how difficult it was to get it right. Because I figured, okay, it's it's sex up with it's actually an eighth note subdivision. You just do triple it, triple it, triple it, triple it is fine. But your right hand is playing sixteenth, so there's still 16th. a three over two happening there. So yeah, so you got to get this thing happening. One, two, and three. One, but two, I mean, and three. One, two, and three. One, two, and three. One. Now the problem with that is now we we run into a roadblock of tempo. Carter has the left hand skills to do that. Yeah. No, but I can't. For a play lot that of tempo. people, no. <laughs> right. For a lot of people, even playing, you know. Uh, I guess example three, when you get to the third one where both hands are playing 16th notes, a lot of people would find out, uh, welcome to Flamville. Yeah. You're going to struggle with that. Yeah. And then getting that left hand faster than your right hand because everyone's going to take off too fast on this because they refuse to slow down. Yeah. So they're going to go, woo, this is my jam. And it's like, okay, just so you know, your left hand's going to go, good luck, dude. Yeah. Your metronome goes slower than 60. Carter being the smart ass that he is, the bass drum plays one and then three and. So there's an extra level Dog, of- just leave it at one and three. <laughs> that was always like the, when I was working with Pete Magadini, he wanted to make sure that I did not feel that he didn't want me to be allowed to cheat into two, four. He's like, uh-huh. no, no, it's four, four. We need, we need a different bass drum in the second half so that you have to feel this as a larger phrase. And I was like, damn it. <laughs> just let me do one and three. And he's like, well, isn't one and three just one then? And I'm like, I guess. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what, though? That's what ties all of us together on this level of education is like we it's these rite of passages, these grid systems, 
these accent things, the, the claves that we talked about in last week's podcast, the, the polyrhythmic stuff. We've all kind of gone through this stuff. And that's what bonds us together. It's like, look, man, I know that you skipped prom to be able to do this. There's no <laughs> way you had a normal social life and your left hand can do that. So we're brothers, you know, we're brothers and sisters because of that. So, uh, so where can people find this thing that you were talking about? Is it just on Carter's social media or did you put something up no, on I, it? I, I transcribed and gave it to him. So he just posted it. So there's, I think, okay. it, it, I don't know when it went off. A couple of days ago, he posted himself playing the beat, which I think was just him figuring it out. And then he sent me the videos like, hey, how would you write this? So mm-hmm. I just transcribed it awesome. out for him. And it ended up being a really cool exercise. His 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 performance version of it as it takes a little bit more leeway with the bass drum, which makes it even more frustrating. But we transcribed it with just a one and three and. It's it's that's a doozy. Awesome. It looks it's one of those you see it on the page, like hey, that doesn't look too hard. I can see it being a challenge to get my left hand to play that fast, but the real challenge is can you play those triplets accurately? It it stopped yeah. me in my tracks. I'm like, I can't even play a freaking eighth note triplet <laughs> over sixteenth. <laughs> I love those things. Uh, I get caught in them all the time during our, our live broadcast on Mike'sLessons.com. I'm like, guys, all you have to do is, and then it's like, I just literally fall down a staircase with a drum set on my back. I'm like, wait a minute. That makes so much sense to my brain. How is my body not able to do this? Like, I yeah. know I can do this. You know, and that's when I just, I just have a little button on my iPad that controls my dog or uh, controls my interface. And I just mute all. I'm like, you guys can just sit in silence while I work this out because it's hilarious. I'm getting this. We're all right. Let's get into something <laughs> that causes zero controversy whatsoever. Is Buddy Rich still the greatest of all time? Yep. So I'm going to put is this on com- your in your balls in your court because you brought it up and there was an NBA analogy. So let's go. Okay, first of all, you guys need to know that Mike and I already discussed this for an hour on the phone in a real discussion, not in a podcast like, let's get some show notes together. I was like, hey, what do you think about this? And then we were off and running, and we couldn't stop talking about it. So if you guys haven't seen it, ESPN is doing a 10-part series uh, Bulls documentary about the 1997-1998 Chicago Bulls team. It is not called the Michael Jordan documentary, but because he rarely participates in stuff like this, it is definitely the Michael Jordan documentary. So Michael is considered the greatest of all time. Uh, Every once in a while, we get a Kobe comparison or a LeBron James comparison, but I think that this documentary will just reestablish why Michael is considered to be the greatest of all time. And it just made me think, who would our Michael Jordan of drumming be? And the only one I could think of that's ever been called the greatest of all time would be Buddy Rich. Whether you think that, clearly that's a matter of opinion, especially unlike sport where we have championships and rings and awards we're dealing with art, so it is definitely a matter of opinion. Yeah. You could be wrong because if you don't agree with me, then you're wrong. And that's a fact. <laughs> but it is no. So it, it's this is totally you're free about, to be completely wrong. That's okay. Yeah. You have the freedom to be wrong, but you're wrong. So in this situation, Buddy Rich is the only drummer I could think of that was ever called the greatest drummer of all time. And then Mike and I started thinking, well, who called him that? And, and I, my answer was quite silly. It was like, my parents? Yeah. I don't remember. I just remember everybody telling me he's TV. the greatest. It's all. I think with no yeah. research, whatever, I think it's simply because he played on TV and some pop culture people said he's the greatest drummer of all time. And it opens up another, I, like... How would you, what type of drummer would even 
be considered to be the greatest drummer of all time? Like, how do you even define what a great drummer is? It's that's really why I was, hard. Really that's why hard. I was bringing up the art side of it. It's art. Like, there's only a the certain greatest type of painter drummer. of all time. I mean, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Jordan, greatest basketball player of all time. He won a lot of championships. He dominated the game for a long time. He came back out of retirement twice. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of arguments, and he redefined what it means to be a basketball player. I can see that argument, but then would he beat him in his prime? Would he beat LeBron James in his prime in one-on-one? Does that even matter? Because is it more about leading a team? Is it more about what you do for the sport? And would LeBron James be LeBron James without Michael Jordan? And then the four billion people he inspired to play basketball that LeBron James looked up to. So I I think the other thing that comes into it, and Jordan is probably the best comparison with Buddy Rich, is because Jordan changed not basketball, but he changed the NBA. He was the cash cow for the entire league. You couldn't go to China without seeing massive posters of Michael Jordan. He was the most famous athlete in the world, besides maybe Muhammad Ali and a, a few others at the time, mm-hmm. he was a superstar. This is at a time when the Bulls games had no one attending them, and Michael changed everything and made the Bulls cool. The Bulls were oh god, Bulls were the Sacramento Kings. Sorry, Zach. <laughs> but wait, you still like, have a basketball it, team? <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. Take your digs, Dawson. Move yet? <laughs> No, I'm telling you, this was our year. We were going to make the playoffs this year until damn yeah. virus. Yeah, hit. you so, and the Nets for sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, so I think that with Buddy Rich, he's the package deal. He caused a lot of people because he was on TV, because just like Michael Jordan, Buddy Rich had an incredible on camera persona and personality when you watch johnny carson interview him they're sparring back and forth and it's great tv i don't know that it would have been great tv with some of the other contemporaries that buddy had at that time and i don't even know because of things that we've mentioned i don't know that they would have even had the opportunity to have that spotlight but just like michael jordan you stick a mic in his face there's a big difference between michael jordan and tim duncan Michael Jordan had charisma. Mm. He he dressed the part. He looked the part. And then when it came down to it, he delivered. I think with Buddy Rich, it's the same thing. You've got all of this stuff, the persona, the Rat Pack thing. Like, what do you mean he fought Frank Sinatra? Oh, yeah, they came to blows. Like, what? Yeah, what definitely a badass. Of oh, the yeah. era. It's that 50s, like, pop totally. icon era, which it just – it's hard. It's hard to separate it. It's hard to separate his association with celebrities. And, I mean, the, obviously the dude played the drums faster and more virtuosic than anyone ever before and on par with anyone we've ever seen since. Let's take that thing. When it comes to a non-drummer watching a drummer, how can you not say that Buddy Rich at the time was the greatest drummer ever because he did so much stuff that a non-drummer could, you know— have like frothy mouth over. I don't even know what that means, but uh, foam <laughs> at the mouth. <laughs> it's the spectacle. I mean, it's He's all about the spectacle. It's the spectacle. Yeah. yeah, and it and it and still at at any point in time when the the average drummer of the era would have been like, ah, Buddy Rich is whack. It's like, oh, cool. Can you do it? Well, no, but I mean, it's just because I don't want to. It's like, okay. I mean, the dude was a bad man. So before we talk too much more about it. Let's listen to some Buddy Rich. Now, this is, I don't know what year this was exactly, but this is just at a... 1970-ish. Okay. So this is at a time, yeah, circa 1970. 
And this is kind of what, when I think of Buddy Rich in my head, the first thing I think of is, I, I hate to say it, but I don't think music. I think drum solos. Yeah, totally. Uh, long form drum solos, like 20 minute drum solos. That is not an easy thing to do. There's some stamina involved. There's a lot of storytelling involved. But you can, just in the first couple minutes of this thing, you can hear how much massive control this man had over the instrument. So let's check it out. I can't argue. Yes. Although I would argue the language he's playing is old. He's playing the instrument in an insane level, but the language is like from the 20s and 30s. Whereas if I would – now this goes back to the Jordan um, greatest of all time because I was a Dominique Wilkins fan. I – I actually okay. did not like Jordan. I thought Dominique was way more dominant at his role, and I was way more excited to see him slam a basketball versus Jordan. So it kind of – I'm setting it up because if I if you put Buddy Rich in this era next to Dennis Chambers in the mid-'90s, I would say Dennis Chambers is the better drummer because the language is more gotcha. sophisticated. There's just more – modernness to it i don't know but the same kind of thing like, yeah, like well, it's, it's evolved i've watched dennis play half hour solos and been the same level of like what in the hell did i just witness but you know then but would would dennis exist would dennis buddy? exist but, but does that make right. does that make him the greatest of all time forever no well i think right away i think the greatest of all time should be stricken from the record when you're dealing with art i don't yeah. like that at all because that's such obviously if you get somebody that only cares about pocket and feel they would be like this makes me want to just die like this is everything i'm against you get yeah. somebody that wants to push the instrument as far as possible they're like this is amazing i mean i i still marvel at the clarity of his playing yeah no the one clarity could touch that. and the yeah no and, and the and i mean the dynamics i mean he's it's it's unreal what he's doing not to mention this is, you know, the recording technology is not that great. I can still hear everything he's doing. So it exists and it is what it is. But I just found it odd that when I was listening to my sports shows talk about Jordan and when I was watching the ESPN documentary, uh, what I found funny to me was that there wasn't a group of greatest of all time drummer. I was like, well, there's only one. There's Buddy Rich. And I was like, why do I think that? Who programmed that into my mind? I didn't come up with that. I didn't sit down with 20 drummers videos and go, he's the greatest of all time. I never had that thought. I mean, yeah. It's, but it's, it's so stuck ridiculous. in my mind. What? And Okay, what is there a greatest of all time in anything in the history of humanity that makes sense? Like greatest, what? Sports car of all time? Is there a, the greatest? 
economist of all time. No, be <laughs> the greatest. Yeah, I mean, you you have to make well, you have to make the field so narrow that it just doesn't even matter. I mean, is Einstein you know? still the smartest person ever, or would we God, put a no. hundred thousand other people? I mean, but yes. they we still marvel at Einstein's ability to think outside the box and discover things we never thought of before. Totally. But, but he's Einstein. You talk about someone being a genius, the first adjective you use is Einstein. Right. Totally. But and we, and, but that, we and don't, at no point do we say he's the smartest person ever and no one will ever be smarter than Albert Einstein. Nor do we even care that he married his cousin. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> just leave it out. But why does Jordan have to be the greatest basketball player of all time? He was just. He didn't marry his cousin. He was great. And Buddy Rich was <laughs> well, great. Okay. Totally. I, I agree with you. And I think that. It, a lot of it comes down to impact and the impact you have on your, whether it be sport, league, in this case, instrument. I think Buddy Rich's impact for n- people that didn't play was massive. I, I know that you and I can use our drummer brains to, if we, were, if we weren't trying to be so politically correct, we could find 20 drummers that we say, well, I'd rather listen to this or I like this better or I think this person's better. But if I go to anyone off the street that is over, say, 40 years old and just say, hey, I'm thinking about getting into drums. Is there anything I should check out? Oh, you should check out Buddy Rich. And I'd be like, why? Mm. And they'd be like, oh, I don't know. You don't, but you should. A close second would and be you should Neil get a Peart. Ludwig. Neil Peart would be a Neil? close second. But, and it's almost, Absolutely. it's almost two sides of the same coin. Like They're of their own thing so specifically that it just yeah. makes no sense. How can you compare Neil Peart to buddy rich <laughs> how can i you think what you it? said it, when we first started talking about this is such an overlooked thing it's the pop culture side of it oh, yeah you know our parents and grandparents saw buddy on the what steve allen show the michael douglas show the johnny carson show it's like well you can't be on those shows unless you're the best ever right i mean how would you get on that it's like <laughs> right. no like you can network you can be part of the crew you could have punched frank sinatra (laughs) like you could come on the carson show and talk about bruce lee for half an hour like that that whole thing i think that it's it's way overlooked and it's a big part of this you know Mm -hmm. there's so many people that get to where they are because of the package deal rather than just i can do this one thing like we have to assume there's way more virtuoso virtuoso guitar players than uh steve vi but who was in a movie Mm. You know, as the devil versus Ralph Macchio in Crossroads, <laughs> Steve Vai. Uh, so it's about like that movie. Yes, never forget about Ralph that because Ralph pulls out the out, pulls out the classic guitar, and the devil's like, "What do I do? You've got a. I've never seen nylon strings in hell." <laughs> I don't know if that's actually what he said, but I don't remember the line from the movie. But I think it was close. All right, so I know that that didn't go anywhere, but that was kind of the point. Is what we wanted to bring to you is in art. You can just have your favorites. You can just have the people you like, and you don't need to defend it. Mm. I'm never, ever going to get into an argument with anybody about Phil Collins. I like it. I don't <laughs> care what you think. All right, I'm not going to let you Phil's- wrap it up without saying your opinion. Who do you think is the greatest drummer of all time? Let's go. Okay, okay. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, God, I'm like sweating. Do it. Great. Make a choice. You could be different mm. next week. It's, that's that's what's all fun in games and art. Greatest drummer of all time. No, I can't. Nope. Do you have one? <laughs> Do you already have one? Elvin Jones. Oh, man. Elvin Jones. I mean, for, for me, mm. it's genre-based. Elvin Jones, John Bonham. Yeah. Those two. Yeah, it'd be... The thing is, I, I, I got to say, with 
everything that I like about improvisation and storytelling, I don't think that I could like those people without Elvin existing. And everything that I like about rock, I don't think I that that could exist without John Bonham. So, so you justified I, I, my choices. Though. Give me your choice. Come on. <laughs> I don't know. It doesn't. It doesn't work like that. Like to me, it works on. Who makes me want to run to the drum set? Okay. I mean, I still see old Phil clips from Brand X or from early Genesis, and I just want to get on the drum set and play. I just, I still think that that's so Phil Collins. That's why I Phil Collins. Yeah, Phil. Phil's. Yeah, but I don't think he's the greatest of all time. But <laughs> he's the most impactful to me. I I went on a rant yesterday on Instagram Live defending the hell out of Travis Barker. Yeah, because I, I was mean, like, tell me that guy didn't get. You know, more people to play drums than anyone in the last 20 years. Good luck. That dude caused so many people to start playing drums. I don't even care if he can play at all. But And by the way, he can play. But I I couldn't care less. I'm like, dude, our industry, who knows where our industry would be without someone like Travis Barker. I love that stuff, you know. So So Phil Collins is the greatest drummer of all time, (laughs) according to Mike Johnson. I'm just going to look right here in this side panel. Uh, Jaharis Yokely. Jaharis Yokely is the greatest drummer of all time. There you go. Uh, No, I know. I I, I would definitely right now put our your pick of the week uh, at the top, right close to the top of my list. Okay. Yeah. I really don't know who can do what he can do better than him. I I mean, I, I don't know anybody that I would be like, I don't think he could do that. I think he can just about do everything. That is foreshadowing our picks of the week. Now it is time to talk about something else, and I have no idea what that is. <laughs> I tried to get us over there, but I was like, "Crap, I don't have the rundown." Are we talking about symbols? So, uh, actually, we're gonna we're gonna do the other thing. So, um, first of all, reminder that you need to enter the Dream Symbols giveaway before next Friday because we're gonna be picking the winner on the show next week. So, go to last week's episode, get the specs. All you have to do is play a clave variation, beat pattern, whatever. Use your practice pad, use your kit, use a djembe, or whatever you got. Post it, tag Modern Drummer, tag Mike and I, so we can see it, and we will just pick randomly from whoever's entered. Um, okay, so for the gear section, I just reviewed the Evans UV2 heads, and just for fun, I posted a video, or part of the video for Modern Drummer was me comparing the UV1 to the UV2, because the kit I have here has UV1 heads that I put on three years ago when I did the original review of those. So those heads have stayed on that kit for three years, and they still look and sound yeah. like new. So, awesome. so for the review, I you know I played that kit with those heads, swapped on the UV2s, played it exactly the same way, same tuning, everything. So you could hear same drums, same tuning, same patterns. What does it sound like? So for Instagram, I just chopped up that demo down to just like four bars of me playing. I'm playing the come together beat since it has all the fills okay. in it, all the tom fills. Perfect. So four bars of one hit drum head and then it swaps over to four bars of another drum head and goes back and forth twice just to see if i could really hear the difference um so i figured we could drop that in talk about it and then be done with the segment what happened to the sabian aax brilliant symbols that's going to be next week <laughs> that's next week dog my, my okay, rundown well, was not all in my up. rundown okay it's in the pick all right, of the week well, category. Cool. I, God, I love... Yeah, let's get into some drumhead <laughs> stuff because I've got 19 articles on my screen about the Sabian AX brilliant cymbals. Let's do it. I was like, how is he going to wrap this up and hey, switch it to no, cymbals? This me, is going to be amazing. Me, you let me pick the direction of the segment, and that's what happened. I Boom. said pivot. We'll do... We'll, 
Yeah, no one even knows, but we're going to talk about some savings symbols next week, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I'll just keep those tabs so, up on my The UV on my okay, series heads. I just wrote the review, so it'll be coming out in a future episode. I don't mind sharing with all of our listeners some of my what conclusions that made it into the review. UV1 heads are one-ply head with this coated applique put on top, so it's not a spray paint coating. It's some sort of a like a sticker of some sort. That's then oh, cured okay. to the, the bottom, to the main mylar with ultraviolet light. So it's supposed to make it more durable. The coating won't flake off like spray paint will. Like I said, those heads have been on that kit for three years. Aside from letting a dude sit in early on and he played at such a terrible angle that he put a dent in the Rack-Tom head, those things have been spotless for three years. Okay. So the UV2 is just a two-ply version. So it's two layers of Mylar, like a G2-style head, and they put this coated applique thing on top, cured it with the ultraviolet light. So now you've got a more durable two-ply head, allegedly. Okay, and is it textured? Like, could you play brushes on these things? Yeah, it's just like a coating. If you didn't okay. know it was an applique, okay. you'd think they just coated it, and they, they it doesn't go all the way to the collar, so there's like a maybe an eighth of an inch of clear around the perimeter. Oh, but that looks cool. Yeah, it looks awesome. cool. But yeah, it's coated, it's textured like a like a spray, like a traditional sand and spray paint kind of a coating. Okay, so this okay. audio is me playing, I'm not going to tell you which ones. You'll probably hear it, maybe not. I'm going from one version of the kit with the UV1s to the other version with the UV2s, back and forth. Wait a minute, so you're going through two different sets of heads in that? Yep. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I've always said that single ply and double ply really doesn't matter because the tones <laughs> are so pure and <laughs> what the hell just happened? I mean, we're myth busting here. I, I think, yes, there's definitely a noticeable difference, especially if you know which one I'm playing, all of a sudden you can you can know what you're listening for. There's a a little bit of a more controlled, a little bit more low end. The UV1 has a little bit more of an open sound. But push comes to shove, I found they were near identical. Um, if maybe in a yeah. perfect world, I would have the UV1 on the small tom and the UV2 on the floor tom. Okay. But they feel yeah. the same. Um, I kind of felt like the UV2 f- sounded like a UV1 with half a gel on it. That's that wow. was the biggest Which is sonic a bonus difference. for most people. Yeah, so I don't have to dampen it at all. Um, yeah, so in that clip, I was going from the UV one to start four bars later UV two, and then repeated it and ended. I think I did it twice and then ended back with the UV ones. So wow. if you want to check it out again, that's what you're listening to. I don't know if the fact that those heads were three years old made them sound more like a a two ply head. But. Yeah, I don't know. I just all I know is that if 
if I was a drum teacher and I had a, a kit like at a studio where I'm teaching, uh, man, I mean, two ply would be like a no brainer just mm-hmm. so I can have the durability for a long period of time. Yep. Uh, but I mean, I'm just kind of shocked at how much tone came out of those heads. Yeah. You know, so I, I remember. <laughs> Keep in mind, when you were talking about all this, You're I was staring at, at a bunch of Sabian symbols. <laughs> so I, I did. I think I heard something about the UV1s being about three years old. The UV2s, were they new? Yeah, they're brand new. Like I just got okay. them from Diodario a couple months ago. So they're fresh out of the box. Oh. I didn't even see them. I just put them on the drums, tuned them up to where the UV1 was and played. So okay. it was instantaneous. Wow. Awesome. Yeah, so they're a good option. I, I think they're a little bit more expensive than the G1s and G2s, but... Given the fact that I okay, so they haven't taken the place of the G1 and the G2s. They still make that, yes, yeah, which a, is a standard spray-on yep, coating. Yep, yep, and then this is a totally different process. Totally different product. It is a different sound. It's definitely a. It's. I don't know that I would want to play like a, a. If I'm trying to go for a super vintage vibey sound, they kind of take away a bit of that paperiness that you want for that sound. Yeah. They're just kind of more of a okay, so focused vibe. Do you think you would have heard a bigger difference between G1s and UV1s than UV1s and UV2s? I don't know. I mean, at this point, I don't believe anything I think. So <laughs> <laughs> so awesome. It combined almost 80 years of drumming experience between the two of us, and we're like, yeah, I don't know if coated heads sound any different than clear heads. I can't tell the difference. I can't tell the difference between 5As and 3As. And, yeah, it's it's... If it was clear cut, we would have one drum set, one set of cymbals, one set of heads, yeah. one company for everything. And it's not. There's so many, and there's and our head plays such a big role in this. Do you remember yeah. when you and I did the the sixty year old twelve inch tom versus the brand new one, and right, we couldn't right. tell the difference? Right, like, <laughs> new head. Uh, it's like no, nah, but the vintage one, man. It's just it's just what? What is it just doing? And we we came down to like it's got a vibe. Yeah, you feel it. It's a psychological so, yeah. thing. Yeah. I think so. So to give you more of an actual review of the UV2s, um, and we'll kind of wrap it up there. Um, I'm not a fan of two ply heads that have perimeter muffling, like the Evans EC2 or the Remo Powerstroke 3 or the um, Aquarian Studio X, which I feel like you. those are one dimensional. You put them on the drum, and you're either going to get a high or a low version of that one thing, which is kind of thuddy yep. and its thing or a pinstripe yeah. or something. The UV2 kind of does the opposite effect. It retains the, for me, the versatility of the of the tone where you can go high or low, you can go bright or dark, but it just has that little bit of roundness that you that you might like from the pinstripe without it being just a instant tom head that you can only get one vibe out right. of. A little bit more versatility and more flexibility. I think that those heads are killer for people that are just starting out and, and are very frustrated by tuning and haven't treated their room in any way yeah uh those types of heads are great for that like hey just slap these on and they'll literally go Doom, and it'll be done and yep. you'll be happy but then as you start wanting more and more control then you need something more so these sound like a great option awesome well i'm actually really glad to hear sonically that they to you are quite different than the g1 and g2 series because that to yeah. me, it's like, well, if you made one that's better, then get rid of whatever's worse. But if it's like, no, they're not better. They're different flavors of ice cream, then I'm totally in favor of it. Yeah. Who knows what will happen in the future? Maybe they'll transition to everything's going to be ultraviolet coating. But currently, they're both on the market. I see a place for both of them. So Awesome. Awesome. All right. So did you say we're going to kind of stack some listener questions together and do them later? 
when we were off the air, not on the oh. air. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute, I'm looking at my emails. Did I say that? Um, yeah, we're we're getting a little long here, so we should probably let everyone get back to their their daily lives here. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's let's pay off our uh, our tease from earlier. Uh, the person that I said was definitely in my top five of greatest drummers alive right now, uh, or at least of all time, I guess, uh, is your pick of the week. And I'm sure most people will be like, I've never even heard of that person if they're just casual drum fans. Wait a minute. Which one are you referring to? I called an audible. JB. <laughs> Make him your pick of the week then, because I called an audible before we started recording. Remember? Biscuits, you told me to pull up that video. <laughs> Oh my God! I promise you guys, we really do work hard to make this the most professional podcast possible for two moronic drummers. Okay, I'll tell you what happened uh, last night. I saw a video premiere um, that Justin Brown shared on his Instagram page, and it was with a, a new band with a female singer. I I clicked it instantly because I'm a huge fan of Justin, and then once I heard the music, I'm like, all right, I'm a huge fan of this artist. But then again, I just marveled at Justin Brown's. Everything he's got everything he's he he's a obviously a student of the art form he he understands the history he's pushing new ground he doesn't show off but at the same time he knows where to step forward and he's always pushing the music without making it he's a very selfless drummer in that way so he's my favorite modern drummer right now I think this the work that Justin Brown has been doing with everything he's involved in every time I'm like that's that's where the art form is headed. And I'm glad he's there to carry this this torch to a whole new place. Similar to, I think, I, of like the way Elvin changed the modern jazz mm-hmm. world, the way you know Vinny changed the fusion world. He's taken this hybrid, what do you call it, world, hip hop, yeah, avant garde fusion. Man, it's it's a little bit of everything. There's so many of my favorite drummers. You know when you said that if you put people into categories you have your favorite drummers and definitely we we would have a whole different conversation if you said who's your favorite fusion drummer who's the best Mm. jazz drummer fine justin has my favorite drummers from all those categories in him Mm -hmm. if he needs to have a little bit of chris dave it's there as an influence but it's not stolen yeah it's influenced by and then he took it and ran with it and created something new i've been hearing about justin i'm pretty sure I'll have to look this up, but I'm pretty sure he was at the University of Pacific. Do you know if that's right at the Brubeck Institute in Stockton, California? Probably. I think he I won the, I think the I've monk known, contest. Go ahead. I think he won the Thelonious Monk contest. When yeah, was, I think I've known about him since he was like 15. Yeah. And I, I think I remember him being at the at the Dave Brubeck Institute. And people were like, oh, you got to check out Justin Brown. You got to meet Justin Brown. Mm-hmm. And he was one of those guys that in that time, at that time when he was in high school – the shed thing was all the rage, right? Like, so yep. everybody'd come over to the drum lab and we'd have a shed, and Justin Brown might come by. And he was, as a kid, not above it, but saw past it. It was like, mm-hmm. that's, yeah, I'm not going to spend my time doing that. Yeah. I don't care if you can, think I'm good or not. He can rip. Oh, he could. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, yeah, I'm with you, man. This is definitely somebody. And the other thing is back to the package deal argument. Never really heard anybody say anything negative about him yeah. as a person, yeah. you know. Um, and yeah. I, I, we actually have never had the chance to run into each other. And one day, I got a random text from him that said, "Hey, are you in there? I'm at your door." <laughs> and I was, I wasn't even in town. I think I was like out on a clinic tour. I was like, 
man, what an honor. No, I'm in, you know, I'm in Bangladesh. <laughs> like, I don't know where I am. But uh, yeah, and he was like, okay, cool. I got your number from Eric Moore. Just wanted to stop by and, and, and meet you and say hi. And I was like, that was awesome. Yeah. Um, What's the name of that yeah, video? Yeah, I'm a massive fan. I, I didn't. I didn't open it. What is the name? What's that? Of the, what's the name of that video? Do you have it open? Oh yeah. So uh, I believe the artist is. Um, it says it's just Black Room, and then Paola Gladys. I'm sure I butchered that. Featuring Justin Brown. So it's it's actually on her page. Uh, so I believe it's Paola Gladys. Also, if you guys want to follow Justin on Instagram, I highly suggest you do. Uh, it's just at Drum Brownie, but Brownie is B-R-O-W-N-I-E. So follow Justin. He's he's just incredible, and he's he's a beautiful artist and human being as well. So, All right, so what is your pick of the week? And so that's my- not my pick of the week. <laughs> that was just a bonus featured artist right there. Yeah, so that, yeah, it's been like a, a deluge of just badass awesomeness online i guess from all this quarantine so justin that caught my ear and then i got hit with uh, mike clark has a book out so all this stuff is happening but today chad smith posted a instagram video of him playing let's dance the david bowie beat he's been playing like every day he's been playing a classic beat i don't know who it is someone is just holding an iphone and he's playing an old vintage gretch kid i think and he's just okay. playing all these classic beats Today he did David Bowie, Let's Dance, and it was, as soon as he played the Tom Phil, I knew what song he was playing. And it's just a build. It's just eighth notes. Then when he went into the beat, I was like, holy crap, that sound is coming out of this man's hands. There's no microphones. There's no mixing board. There's no slate plugins. There's no 1176. (laughs) That dude's snare drum sounds exactly like Blood Sugar Sex Magic, and he's in his living room. It it blew me away. Like, that is... wow. That's just levels everything. Like that's that's what a real pro sounds like. When you just hold up an iPhone, you don't need to have any fancy tricks. He's just going to play and smash it. So I'm sure you're already following Chad Smith, but if you're not, follow him. This is we've been so lucky in these crazy times to have someone like him every day having fun and just hitting the drums, and it's been super cool. He's he's that's awesome. he's in the top five influence for me of all time. So I feel like a 13 year old kid again like there's chad smith what's he gonna play today i know that song it's honky tonk woman or whatever but yeah the the let's dance one just check out that snare drum sound i mean he's crushing the drums too no earplugs or nothing (laughs) right yeah just going for it So at Chad Smith official is where you can find it on Instagram. 
And if you check his grid, it's pretty awesome because it's pretty much all black. Because uh, he's he must. I haven't. <laughs> he doesn't on do yet, the cover. <laughs> yeah, no. He, he. Okay. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He just does a, a, like a, a a black to reveal fade in, and so his entire grid is just black thumbnails. That's I love beautiful. it. Beautiful. <laughs> uh, all right. So my pick of the week. I'll be super quick about this. I know a lot of you are stuck at home. So if you're not watching the. ESPN docuseries Last Dance. I don't think I actually gave the name of the documentary series, but that's what it's called. That's the one on the 97 Chicago Bulls team. Please do yourself a favor and check out a new show on Apple TV Plus called Home. I have bragged and bragged and bragged about the show Chef's Table many times. I'm not into cooking whatsoever, but it is so incredibly beautifully shot that it is worth watching and they tell great stories of humanity and the chefs themselves and the lives they grew up in home is made by the same people that made chef's table. So it is shot equally as beautiful and it is about some of the most incredible homes in the world, but not about money. Some of these one guy lives in the same apartment that his mom purchased in Hong Kong. And now he's one of the most sought out after designers or architects in Hong Kong. And he lives in the same apartment that his mom bought that is about think maybe a 250 square feet and he has turned it into something wow. truly incredible so it's about unique homes but it's not i don't know i've seen a lot of corny shows in the past about like crazy homes and mm-hmm. all, this is not it this is something so much deeper and i think a lot of you will truly truly enjoy it uh so it's just called home uh and it's i there's definitely a, a decent focus on the future of building materials and being ecologically responsible and being eco-friendly for sure but it's it's not centered around that it's just every once in a while there's a little nugget that makes you go i oh yeah i guess we could do things different one of the Mm -hmm. things i'll just tell you is there is a massive it looks like a mansion in thailand made out of bamboo and the architect tells you right off the top everything you see here started growing less than five years ago oh wow now, that compared to a house made out of wood, that's hundreds of years for trees. Oh, yeah. Concrete, that's a millennium. That's thousands of years for fossil fuels. Yeah. And everything here was built from something that started growing less than five years ago. And it's just like, whoa, whoa. And it's gorgeous. So uh, mm-hmm. definitely something to check out. It's just called Home on Apple TV+. Plus. Sweet. All right. So our outro beat is our, um, our good buddy. Our good buddy, Luke. Luke Farron. Luke Farron, so he's playing. Uh, oh, so he was messing around with running his drums through a guitar pedal and tape delay plugins. So that's that's the vibe. Um, he says he's been listening. He's been watching too much Aaron Sterling <laughs> master classes. Anyway, thank. There's uh, never too much. Send your beats in to Mike D at moderndrummer.com. Also, your listener questions, Mike D at moderndrummer.com. For your questions, your outro beats. Thanks for listening. Uh, everyone, stay safe. Mike, you stay safe. Thanks, buddy. What am I going to do? I don't know. I, I would assume you've got a lot of gear to review, and you got to check out some of those Doc Sweeney snares. Yes, next week we'll do that. All right. All right. Out here. <laughs>